Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello? Nate, hey man, it's Luke. Oh, Luke, what's up, bro? I know you're probably back in school now. Oh yeah, it's already going full swing. Well, this coming Tuesday, August 20th at Cafeza is Trivia Night. And I just think like there's no better way for you teachers and parents to celebrate the new school year than by coming out and drinking alcohol and thinking about 80s trivia. Oh yeah, and then that way we can say all the things about our kids that we've been keeping inside. Exactly. I mean, instead of hearing about their stupid days at school, you can relive your days at school. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's my thought. I just wanted to put it out there and see what you think. As a teacher, what do you think about celebrating the new school year by coming to 30 Pop Trivia Night? Man, that's just the perfect way to do it, too. Get everybody together right at the start of school to talk about our idiot kids and when we were idiot kids. Yeah, with alcohol. Oh, God, it makes it even better. Okay, well, you're invited, and I hope you can make it. Thank you, man. See you there, bud. All right. Thanks, Nate. We'll see you. Bye. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 1, Episode 26, Genesis Does What Nintendo Don't. Today we're looking back at the week that ended, Saturday, August 19th, 1989. Hello friends and welcome to episode 26 of 30 Pop. There is much to discuss as we look back at last week in 1989, but first, I want to share a bit about last week in 2019. I spent the last several days in Orlando, Florida, attending an enormous annual conference for podcasters called Podcast Movement. I was able to learn from some of the most gifted folks in this industry, connect with people who share my love for this medium, and come home super energized about this work. One of the most helpful things about this conference for me each year is the ways in which it both reminds and encourages me to do things I tend to otherwise either forget or ignore in this work. Specifically, this week I was reminded and encouraged to be way more explicit in inviting you, my faithful and attractive listeners, to partner with me in producing this and the other podcasts I'm involved with. I won't do this all the time, but really quick, just bear with me. If you don't know, I own a podcast network called Mill U Media Group, and over the last four and a half years we've launched ten separate podcasts, all of which I produce, edit, and distribute, and I host or co-host several of them. I also manage social media for most of them, although admittedly not terribly effectively, and fund them all out of my own pocket. If you like this or any of the shows I produce and want to help me make them, as well as access bonus behind-the-scenes content, you are hereby formally invited to partner with me at the Patreon link in the show notes for this episode. Patreon is a membership platform that allows you to gain increased access to all kinds of fun content, bloopers, blog posts, etc. for a recurring monthly price, which you name. As of this recording, I have 28 faithful patrons, and I am so, so, so thankful for them. If you hate this show and all of the other shows I'm producing, but like me as a person and would like to see me succeed in life, you're also formally invited to join me on Patreon. 
Over the next couple of months, I'm going to be completely revamping my Patreon rewards, and there will be a little extra love for the folks who are already members or those who joined beforehand. So now is a good time to be sure and check it out and partner with me. All right, we made it. Now let's settle into some sweet 1989 nostalgia. 30 years ago this week, the number one film at the box office, its very first weekend in theaters, was the very funny Uncle Buck, starring John Candy and Macaulay Culkin. We're going to do a much deeper dive on this film in episode 28, but one fun fact for now. John Hughes, the film's writer and director, originally wanted the wonderful Winona Ryder to play Buck's troubled niece, Tia. And she was actually offered the part, but ultimately had to decline, as she was already booked on the set of the film Heathers, alongside Christian Slater and Shannon Doherty. A fact that might come in handy for those of you attending our 30 Pop Trivia Night this Tuesday. No major changes in the music world this week in 89, with the number one album once again being Prince's Batman soundtrack and the number one single being Richard Marx's Right Here Waiting. But there was a major album release this week. Mother's Milk, the fourth studio album by funky, eclectic rock phenoms Red Hot Chili Peppers. The album was the group's first following the unfortunate and unexpected death of founding member and guitarist Hillel the Israeli Cowboy Slovak and the subsequent departure of their drummer at the time, Jack Irons. Despite his tragic and ultimately terminal battle with heroin addiction, Slovak was a huge influence on the Chili Peppers' unique sound, and his legacy continues to be a motivator for the band to this day. Another notable event from this week in 1989 was the August 14th North American release of the game console that shaped my childhood, the Sega Genesis. I loved this system. So I sat down once again with my friend and cousin-in-law, Caleb Sanderson, to talk about it. Caleb, welcome back for the second week in a row to 30 Pop. So good to have you. Thank you. So I want us to talk 30 years ago this week on August 14th Mm -hmm. was the North American release of the Sega Genesis. Yes. We are finally into a game system that I had as a kid on this show, and I'm so excited to talk about it. And there's a reason you had it, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to know what you mean by that. Okay, so... It's all about the marketing thing, and Sega decided that, there's a long story, but Tom Kalinske came in, and Sega wasn't doing too well in 89. Okay. They had like a 10% market share, Nintendo had 90. I remember the original Sega system, pre-Genesis, mm-hmm. and it was pretty terrible. Yeah, It was absolutely. interesting, though, because you had like cartridge games and like disc games. It took two different types of games. I remember that. Yeah, and the Genesis was just the cartridge, yeah. the 16-bit yeah. cartridge, but... Pretty much after 1983, the video game crash of 1983, Nintendo just had a stronghold on the entire video sure. game industry. Yeah. So much so that outside game developers could only develop five games for Nintendo by contract, and mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to develop for any other hardware. Any company that wanted to try to take a part of this space was basically committing financial yeah. suicide as trying to get into that space. And Sega came in, and they brought in Tom Kalinske after they were just kind of sitting there for a while, and created Sega of America, which was a different thing from Sega of Japan. And the head of the corporation told Tom Kalinske, you can do what you have to do to get Sega to work, because I believe in this. And Tom Kalinske had the skins on the wall. He is responsible for like reviving Barbie and Hot Wheels. He worked for Mattel. He introduced the world to He-Man and Masters of the Universe in the early 80s okay. or mid-80s. And he worked for Matchbox for a little bit, then jumped over to Sega And so his idea was there's a market out there for people that aren't kids because Nintendo is, this is a toy, it's for families, it's for kids. We're going to go the other way and we're going to market heavily towards teenagers, young adults. We're going to be 
cutting edge. We're going to be kick-ass, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. It was and sleek. It was sleek, black. Right. It looked cool. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And that was what they wanted to go for. Uh, we're cool. We're dangerous and we're hip. And then also we're going to undercut Nintendo's prices to be able to sell and push more things. Unfortunately in 89, when it actually released, there was a game that came with it that was absolutely terrible, but wonderfully nostalgic for me. What game? Altered Beast. Okay. Altered Beast is one of the games I really wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. I loved Altered yeah. Beast. It's pretty, it's not well received in the video gaming. Sure. I, I mean, it's pretty now straight. It, it's a side scroller. Mm-hmm. You turn into different versions of a monster and you kill other monsters. Right. I mean, it's power up. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. You, you it know, is. you do your levels and you turn into the monster and kill the big monster and then you turn gold at the very end. Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. I loved it. I loved playing it at the arcade. Like mm-hmm. I remember going to like the pizza place around the corner from my house and there was, you know, the actual arcade version yeah. of altered beast. I loved it. Yeah. I didn't re- realize it ever came with the system. Yeah. That was the first game that came with the Sega Genesis and you know, whatever. But that was when Sega wasn't much. And of course the big game that Sega brings to the world is Sonic. Sonic the Hedgehog. And that was done by Sega of America. Their whole thing was he's got to be kind of the anti Mario. He's got to be a smart aleck. He's got to be fast. He's got to be, you know, colorful and whatever. And that's what we're going to hitch our wagon to. And it took off. So the much whole so. fast thing was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like for the game to move, you know, that's all I remember is he could like break through walls and he could, and I still play Sonic the Hedgehog on my phone. Absolutely. Like I have the app, you know? And so like, it was just so fun that you could like crouch down and like, mm-hmm. he, he sort of like revs yeah. up and then he just flies mm-hmm. so fast. And then you could go left to right on the screen, but then you could go back. Yeah, that's right. To the beginning if you wanted to. Which, you know, Mario Brothers 1, you couldn't do. Mario Brothers 3, you could. But that was kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Opened up the 16-bit thing. The Nintendo was still 8-bit, so it looked a little more pixely. And 16-bit was where it was In kind of the best way, Absolutely, for sure. still, yeah. And that was kind of what pushed Nintendo to make sure they started producing better stuff. So Sega, really, without the bringing of Sega into the market, Nintendo would have still had this 90% share of the video game landscape. And we may not have the games that we do today. You know, PlayStation may not exist. Xbox may not exist because nobody thought it was a valuable thing to try to push into this space. No one would have challenged the the throne. So competition really made Nintendo change how they did things. And, of course, that led to these developments of other softwares like Sega, as they were trying to push themselves to the next console, made some mistakes and put out some crap like Sega Saturn. And Sega CD. And Sega CD, Sega Saturn, and Dreamcast, I guess, was their last one that kind of killed them off. But they were in works with making a deal with Sony to Sega Sony gaming system, which Sony ended up backing out and creating the PlayStation. Thanks be to God. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. But it was all because Sega started in 1989 and like we're going to try to push into this space. And it was very successful. They just had such a meteoric rise that they couldn't continue. And then they collapsed. So the first thing they did was they actually just redesigned their original system Mm -hmm. and made it look even cooler. Yeah. And so here's what I remember. I remember when I was in, I remember the system cost $150. Mm -hmm. And I was, I think I was in sixth grade. And I saved and I saved and I saved and I did like work during the summer. I did everything I could to save up and I bought my own. It was my first like big purchase of my own. I I saved up and bought this thing. And the next year, and I had the the old original system Mm -hmm. and then they rebooted it. Like they made it look cooler. And my dad like won one in a raffle at a basketball game and gave it to my older brother. And I was like, (laughs) what? I 
earned this and suddenly he's playing all my games. Yeah. But, it's funny how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> brothers, right? Older brothers. Did you have like a favorite, what was a favorite game for you? When I go back and think Sonic 2 was amazing. So great. Tails. That, that's when you get Tails, yeah. yeah. I think that was the one where they introduced like the 3D-ish where you get into a... The little bonus, yes, bonus and levels. Yes, you yeah, yeah. do the whole loop and everything, yeah. collecting coins. That one... Rings. Coins were Mario. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. I still do that. My son plays Lego Harry Potter games and whatnot, and he collects these little things, and I just call them coins, yeah. and they're not coins, but... Streets of Rage. Oh my gosh, yes. In particular, Streets of Rage 3 because of Blades, I think was the kid's name. That's probably wrong, but he rollerbladed, so that's what I called him. Nice. And he could jump on a guy's back and punch him a bunch of times, then like flip over and flip the guy. It was great. I loved those games. Yeah, and then the Ninja Turtles time warp because I was a Ninja Turtles fiend as a child. who wasn't at that point? Yeah. Well, one of the problems that Sega had when Tom Kalinske joined on was that they had thrown a lot of money on partnerships with big names in athletics. So you got David Robinson's Supreme Court basketball. Oh, man, I actually loved that game. Which wasn't a bad game. But then, you know, Joe Montana football, which Mm -hmm. I loved as a kid as well. That was on Genesis? Mm -hmm. And then... I guess that's right, yeah, because it was competing with like Super Techmo Bowl and Mm -hmm. all of those that were amazing. And then to compete with, I guess, Mike Tyson's boxing, uh, or Mike Tyson's punch-out, Sega had Buster Douglas's boxing something and it was like touted as one of the worst video games ever made that's amazing and sega kind of owned it they're like yep this game kind of sucks so and it's after buster douglas beat tyson yeah and so they're like we're gonna use this now and then turned out he sucked too yeah (laughs) so they made a game that fit that but do you remember arch rivals oh so arch rivals was a basketball game where it was the first kind of Mm two-on-two game that i remember i think it maybe not maybe it was a full team but it was like the guys had like mohawks and tattoos and stuff and they could fight yeah it was street ball you could basically fight in the game and i thought that was so much fun i remember i don't think that was one we ever played we did nba jam of course bird versus jordan is that a yeah jordan versus bird Mm one-on-one is what it was called they had a Jurassic Park game yeah. that was really they, hard. They were big in the licensing with, you know, as most of the video games were at the time. One that was super popular was the Aladdin game. And if you ever go on YouTube and watch like a side-by-side of Aladdin, Sega versus Aladdin on Super Nintendo, you could see the one that was done by Sega is like it was done by real Disney animators because it was. Nice. Uh, and then the other one was done by Capcom, who made it look kind of like Mega Man, but with Aladdin. Another big thing for Sega, you know, I'm pushing to where for teenagers and adults was the the release of Mortal Kombat. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh, yeah. And the blood code. Yeah. Where you could have blood like the real arcade. So disgustingly, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, which looking back now, it's like nothing compared right. to what, what's in games today. Compared but, to Mortal Kombat X and yeah, things are great. But. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like ripping guys' mm-hmm. spines out. I mean, it was disgusting, but yeah. like kids loved it absolutely it i remember was, my parents wouldn't let us have that game but sure yeah right robert fuentes's parents let him have that game and so we would always go over to their house and put in the code and just play it for hours upon end and then you'd play like the super nintendo version and they didn't have the code and so it was just punching people which is no fun and so that was another big thing for sega's getting the blood code so the the, the kind of alternative though to Mortal Kombat, or maybe the predecessor, really. Street Fighter 2. Mm-hmm. So Street Fighter 2 was a huge deal. Absolutely. I mean, that whole franchise is still kind of exists in the gaming world. I mean, that, but there was Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition. And I just remember that being the game that, like, you were a cool kid if you had it. I mean, yeah. anybody that had that game, like, you, yeah. 100%. Street, you're yeah. one of the cool kids. Street Fighter 2 is fantastic. You know, and that was the thing about Sega is it felt like, for the first time, you're really bringing the arcade into your house. 
Yeah, I like, think that's true. I, I, you know, I could be wrong. You know, I wasn't around for Pong and I wasn't around for Nintendo when it first came out. And sure. I don't know what was coming from the arcade to Nintendo, but I just remember growing up going to arcades, like at the mall, putt putt, mm-hmm. wherever. And there were games that you'd play. And then all of a sudden now these games are coming and you could play them without quarters, you know, and yeah. just keep continuing and finally beat some of these games that you could never beat in the arcade yeah. because you it was also didn't the, have time or money. <laughs> it was also the first really somewhat reimagined remote. At mm-hmm. least the remote got bigger and it had like a more ergonomic shape. And it had a third button. And a third button. Yeah. yeah we don't have two buttons and a joystick. Right. We have three buttons and mm-hmm. a joystick. And I think it eventually became like six buttons or yep. something. Like it yeah, was just, it, there was like one where you could turn turbo on all the time. Yes. You switch it over and it was just terrible to play with because it would just make the guy sit there and basically have a seizure and spaz yeah. out for... It was a fantastic system, though. It was. I freaking loved the mm-hmm. Sega Genesis. And I'm still a little bitter at my dad for giving the nicer one to my older brother. As well, you should be. Older brothers don't need anything. They get everything first. We get yes. their hand-me-downs. He had a car. He had girls. Mm-hmm. He had all of the things. And... Why did he get the nicer Sega Genesis? Dad, I want to know the answer to that question. Why did you give him the nicer Sega Genesis that you won? (laughs) Anyway, Caleb, always a joy to have you on. Can't wait to have you back. Yeah, this was fun. We'll see you soon. Huge thanks for the second week in a row to Caleb for being on, as well as to the late, great Sega Genesis for giving me literally hundreds of hours of joy as a kid. A couple of important birthdays this week in 1989. On August 15th, pop star Joe Jonas was born, and the very next day, on August 16th, my dad, Jim Bronner, celebrated his 41st birthday, which isn't really related to anything, but he's my dad, and I love him, and this is my show. So, happy birthday, Dad. As always, friends, I want to thank you for listening to this show. I'd love it if you'd take a quick second to hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's super easy, but a huge help to me as I work to build up the audience for this show. Some fun things for you. Check out the 30 Pop Mixtape playlist on Apple Music and Spotify if you want to hear the top 40 songs from this week 30 years ago. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 30 Pop and Instagram at 30 Pop Podcast for all the nostalgia you can handle. And check out our store over at tpublic.com for some fun 30 Pop merch, including a couple killer Sega Genesis t-shirts that I'm confident you're going to want to own. There are links to all these things in the show notes, as always. I'll be back next week for episode number 27, and I hope you'll join me again. But until then, wherever you go, whatever you do, I will be right here waiting for you. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill You Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. 